This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of Fall of the Boston Celtics. Thank you yet again for downloading the number one podcast on the web which covers the NBA's winningest franchise, Celtics Beat. CLS Radio truly values your patronage. Because of your loyalty to making Celtics Beat the most downloaded weekly Celtics podcast online, we would love to offer a free copy of my critically acclaimed book available at clnsradio.com slash book. That's clnsradio.com slash book. Happy reading and enjoy today's broadcast. Today is Sunday, February 28th, 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. Today's featured guest will be Rich Gotham, president of the Boston Celtics. Rich will make his return to the show. Got a lot to talk about. Oh, geez, I don't know. Start with how the team's playing. His thoughts on what's going on on the court. First time the Celtics have been 10 games over 500 since 2012. How about that? Of course, to make everyone happy, there'll be plenty of talk about the future. So there you go. But I also want to ask Rich and what he feels in his own personal experience, not just the vantage point of the general population of Celtics fans that they have towards the outlook of the state of the franchise and its future, but this current product, the 2016 Boston Celtics, as stated, 10 games over 500 here on the last Sunday of February in 2016. Are people really getting behind this team the way they should? Or could, with these scrappy bunch of overachievers who very well could make a run at, geez, I don't know, the Eastern Conference Finals, hey, could lose in the first round too, but there's a chance this could be a team that makes a playoff charge. How does Rich feel with not just the data the Celtics organization has, and he has, but from his own personal experiences with fans? What kind of emotions does he take away from dealing with Celtics fans on the basis that he does, which he does do, and many in the, in the organization do do. The Celtics, they're very good about that, especially when it comes to treating their season ticket holders, conversing with them. So we'll get some real inside information there, and of course, my reaction to it as well. If, is that, if that's what you really want, I hope. But we look at this past week, as the Celtics have returned to Boston and they're in the midst of a five-game homestand, yes, as promised as well, today is the day we will give away our tickets to the Portland Trailblazers game on Wednesday on this broadcast. All of this on episode number 146 of Celtics Beat, which is being presented by SeatGeek and American Network.com. The Celtics, here we are. On the last Sunday of February, the 28th day of February, it is a leap year, so we got one more day. They sit at 35 and 25, 10 full games over 500. Imagine that after yesterday's win against the Miami Heat, not the prettiest game. Oh, like we got the 3 p.m. excuse afternoon game. I mean, come on, it was 3 p.m. It wasn't 3 a.m. But yeah, they they were a little flat early. Uh, Hassan Whiteside was causing some trouble in the first half. He was a real problem down in the paint. I think he had like four blocks in the first half or something. But the Celts righted the ship after that poor start. Great finish of the game. Really locked the heat up. I know Miami came into this contest with a 21st-ranked offense. So that's not a good matchup for them to Boston's fifth-ranked D. So you could see that one coming. But it's not as if the Celtics team is cooking right now. It's definitely a different team post-All-Star break as opposed to when they went to the break, I believe, winners of 8 of 9 or something around, along those lines. But we'll get to the reasons to that coming up for sure. And they, only, they also only threw 1-0 up on the board. Uh, I say that only like I'm let down as if, you know, because I'm let, a little downtrodden that they're not dumping a buck 20 on teams. But 
Bear down. They got the win, and an ugly win at that. I like it. I like it. Winning with a B-minus game. I, I, I do like that. This, the Celts have right of the ship here after sputtering a bit out west with that uh, beat down right out of the gates at the hand of the Jazz. And their big guys, Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert, with the Jazz coming to town tomorrow and with the Celtics issues about having or at least trying to combat other teams' big men, that's not the last times you're going to hear those two names on this broadcast. I can promise you that. So the Seas go 1-2 and two on that trip. Only win was against Denver that looked as if they were playing at like, oh, geez, I don't know, an 8% effort rate. Then they lose to a crappy Wolves team the following night after Carl Anthony Towns. He ate them up for lunch. So they fizzled out a little bit out of the gates, but two good wins here. Very impressed with yesterday, if for no other reason, as I stated, winning the game, fugly. They go back to Thursday. They held on against Milwaukee, survived another Greg Monroe outburst. Again, notice the theme here of big men having their way with Boston. But the Boston Celtics sit at 35-25. and 25. I know it's what the third time I've said it here in the first few minutes of the show. 35-25. and 25, 10 flipping games over 500. Round of applause for this group. For Brad Stevens, continued improvement. It is there at every level. And let it continue, we hope. It definitely will not be easy. Busy week on the schedule this week as the Celts are now in the midst of this five-game home stretch. Milwaukee and Miami are in the bank as W's. But some real meat comes through here with Utah tomorrow. Portland on Wednesday, the Cavs on Saturday. No, I did not forget the Friday Knicks game. I've already branked that one up. So each and every game here, we continue to learn more and more about this team. I mean, this is this is a lot of fun, I mean, isn't it? I mean, just some great games coming up this week, including that rematch with the Cavs on Saturday that everyone really already has their eyes on. And I guess this is where I should plug the new pregame show hosted by yours truly on CLNSRadio.com. No, why? Why, yes. Well, CLNS Radio's leading online coverage of the Boston Celtics is now even more comprehensive than ever, from the Celtics postgame show to the Garden Report and to Celtics Beat. CLNS Radio will now provide basketball fans game day coverage before anyone else in the lead-up to tip-off. The all-new Boston Celtics pregame show with LHR, yes, moi, will be released on clnsradio.com on game day at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, making it the first pregame show to air anywhere. Download the CLNS Radio mobile app for your iPhone, Droid, or smartphone today so you don't miss a show. And not just for the pre- and post-game shows, but yes, this show, Celtic Stuff Live, which I believe will be available tomorrow. I'm pretty sure they've got Mark Murphy, Celtics Beatman for the Boston Herald. Might want to check out clnsradio.com for more details on that. Uh, the Garden Report, the only post-game show shot in high definition on the Garden floor, which, speaking of Celtic Stuff Live, Justin Poulin was on that telecast back on Thursday. So that to go along with all the raw and uncut locker room videos, again, all in crystal clear HD. All of that is available on the CLS Radio mobile app. CLS Radio is the home in the leading online provider for the most comprehensive coverage of the Boston Celtics. There's a lot going on right now, and we here at CLS Radio will cover every square inch of this thing as we head down into the home stretch here with just 22 games to go. Can, can you believe that? I mean, my, where has this season gone? But much of it, these final games there it's at home the Celts at the end of March and I believe yeah into the beginning of April they have a fairly lengthy west coast swing but with this home stretch this time I don't want to say it's like it's time to go on a run because I mean it's just I I think it's pretty evident how much this team misses Kelly Olenek even though they've won these last two games here they've had problems enough all year with opposing big men who've just killed them I alluded to it in the opening but I've got to get into it especially those with muscle in the paint when you got Utah coming here to the garden tomorrow I talked with David Locke on this Jazz Celtics pregame show back on the 19th of February and he was the one who said you know boy the Celtics they're they're really going to miss Kelly Olenek there's really going to be he's really going to miss his versatility and his ability to stretch the floor and draw opposing bigs out of the paint. And, and, you know, I was like, yeah, wow, Jesus, good point. I mean, how could I have not thought of that the moment his injury was announced over the All-Star break? And it was like, oh, oh, yeah, I know why. It's because me, along with everyone else, was so consumed with the rumor-mongering nonsense and fending off tabloid journalism during that time that we forget about what is or very well could, would, could take place on the court. So we weren't thinking about that with Kelly Olenek until the Jazz kicked their behinds on that February 19th game. So Locke's words, they were prophetic. So prophetic that we're going to have him back on these airwaves tomorrow when we air the Celtics Jazz pregame show on CLNS Radio tomorrow at 4 p.m., available at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. But that came back on the 19th, Boston's first after the All-Star break, and first without Olenek. Gobert 
being able to camp down low that whole game, that was a problem. Boston, you know, they struggled all year with the, the Brooke Lopez, uh, the Greg Monroe's. He had another monster game against the Celtics in a Bucks loss last Thursday. Carl Anthony Towns at the end of that Mountain West roadie. He beat him up, as we already mentioned. Favors and Gobert, they tore him apart in Utah. It's a problem as is. Boston cannot match up with a lot of teams' size and talent, and that problem is only enhanced when you lose the skill set that Olenek brings to the table that can defend that a little bit. So it definitely feels like the Celts have really been hanging on here. They've done a good job doing so in my eyes, but they're really treading water, and I can definitely see this team slip a bit in a very tight Eastern Conference standings, despite what some would presume is a more fable finish to a schedule here. You'd think with a five-game home set, you'd say to yourself as a fan, or even the players would say, like, okay, more than half of our remaining games are at home. Only one real road trip we have to deal with with middle of a five-game homestand. Time to make hay. It's, it's time to make hay. But take a closer look at the schedule. The Celts, although home, and as we know with this group, sadly, that's not that, that's not really been the advantage we want to see of them. It's not the, they're not the 85-86 Celtics, that's for sure. But the Celts have some tough matchups coming up, good games at the Garden, especially these next two with some good Western Conference teams. The Jazz, obviously, we've talked enough about that. And the Portland Trailblazers. They are grossly overachieving. A lot of people thought they'd be one of the four or five worst teams in the league, and here they are in the Western Conference playoffs. If the season ended today, Damian Lillard may be the best guard in the NBA, not named Steph Curry, this season. So I'd love to see the Celtics rip off some Ws, but just realistically speaking, that just doesn't seem feasible with what's on tap and coupling that with how this team is playing as a unit right now and with the personnel they have right now. And I'm actually wondering if it could get worse because Amir Johnson he had a nice game against the Bucks back on Thursday, but he's definitely slowing down a bit. I mean, how much is that foot really bothering him? I'm beginning to wonder, is he an injury away himself here? Lord knows the Celtics are almost always on borrowed time with Jared Sullinger. He's a heartbeat away from something happening. He's been KO'd two of the three seasons he's been in the NBA, so it bears the question. Yes, it bears this question. Should the Celtics maybe try to squeeze in some more playing time for Jordan Mickey? I know, where have you heard that one before, right? This isn't a very original thought on this broadcast. But if for no other reason to possibly protect themselves for when there could be a time when he's forced to play, if a Johnson injury happens or a Seller injury, hap- injury happens, I don't want to say and, right? I mean, but... All of a sudden, you may need 15 to 20 minutes on a given night from the kid. Would it be prudent of Brad Stevens to get his feet wet a bit? Maybe squeeze in four minutes here, six minutes there. So that way, if and when that time does come, you don't toss in an inexperienced second-round draft pick who was playing minor league basketball up in Maine a few weeks ago. So, I mean, it feels like I'm going off the deep end a little bit here. I'm worrying like crazy. And, and just so you know, with the way this season has gone and what my in, intuitions have seemingly led to and to what happened on the court, all of my predictions have like been reversed in the real world. I mean, I remember doing a show here back at the end of December saying, all right, here they go. It's all lined up for them to go on a roll, run a few games now. Now you've got the Lakers in the house, the Nets, they're coming in later, some other cupcakes, and it was... <clears throat> So now, now the Celtics seemingly facing some adversity and not really firing on all cylinders, really grinding out these last two wins. Hey, maybe they do string something together. They actually have won these last two home games. So Lord knows, we'll definitely get into that with Rich. He'll offer his takes on what I was just talking about. And then some, as Rich has always been very generous with his time and his opinions with us, very authentic. We got that coming up here on Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. But... We kind of want to do our audience a, a service here. I mean, well, we always do, right? But over on AmericanFarmersNetwork.com, there are some great sales on just some really incredible steak specials. Obviously, AFN has a great selection of not just beef, but poultry and pork as well. And all their products are certified organic. They all have that all-important USDA organic label. And I'm telling you, there are just some incredible, incredible steak specials now going on. I know most of the audience already knows that AFN's beef is 100% grass-fed. And I tell you, if you want to get a head start on your fat loss now, especially as we're on the home stretch of winter, get that beach body ready as it could be an earlier-than-usual start to the summer with this very mild winter that we're having here in the area. And I can tell you with experience, there's really no more effective way of burning fat and obtaining six-pack abs than having steak as the backbone of your diet. The science is absolutely settled on this. Certified organic grass-fed steak is one of the most nutritionally dense foods on the planet. And it doesn't just help with fat burning and muscle gain, but also the healthy fats in grass-fed beef. You get the right balance of omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acids that that help you, I mean, give you just really appropriate hormone levels that, and that could greatly 
enhanced testosterone levels as well. So it's it's great for sex drive. So like I said, I mean, right now there are some great, great, great deals on AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. But some of these are expiring very shortly. So you're really going to want to act quickly on this one, folks. I mean, if you can, I'd do this right at this very moment. Definitely get on over to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com right now. Again, AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Look around, see what they got. I'm a huge fan of the ribeye. They've got some great combo specials there where you can get a real bang for your buck. And especially when I'm trying to cut down myself some fat as we get ready to have our shirts off more. So I need to make sure that I'm getting all the highest quality protein, a good balance of omega-3 fats, all zero-carb folks. I'm telling you, you got to move on this at AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. I mean, today AFN is presenting our featured interview today here on Celtics Beat, president of the Boston Celtics, Rich Gotham. Rich has been with the Celtics organization pretty much since the current ownership group took over in 2003. He served as team president since 2007, succeeding the late great Red Auerbach, Rich First off, thanks once again for joining us here on CLNS Radio. I want to score some points with you right off the bat. Just to let you know, I'm in. Just re-up my season tickets. Year number 13, here I come. So tell me that those season ticket memberships are flying off the shelves like the grass-fed steaks. I love it, man. You're early. You're, you're what we call an early renew, which uh, which we like. Saves you a few bucks and gives us a little uh, little more certainty in terms of understanding how many people are coming back. But, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, been a good season uh, for ticket sales, and we expect a really strong renewal from our existing base. We've done a lot of work this year, you know, coming up with programs and uh, benefits for season ticket holders to bring them closer to the team and give them more access and provide more, you know, Celtics experiences. So um, hopefully, uh, you know, that plus the, uh, the the performance of the team and the, the bright future of this team is enough to get everyone coming back. Yeah, there's certainly plenty of perks you guys provided. I obviously we all saw what Brad Stevens did disguising himself as a camera member with many of the season ticket holders in a recent benefit just this past Tuesday. Anyways, I want to still hang on there with a few questions with that. I know you guys have a lot of data that we aren't privy to for more complicated data mining and surveys, which I got to admit, I feel like I feel like I feel about eight of year, eight a year for you guys. But I know you talk a lot with fans. I once I said there's a lot of bang for the buck with the season ticket holders, and I mentioned that Brad Stevens a bit. But using just not just the hard data alone, maybe more of an abstract analysis as well in terms of dealing not just with customers but other fans in a person-to-person basis. What do you feel like is the perception of fans towards the state of the franchise? I know you just alluded to it, but if you want to get a little more in depth, are there any changes from this year as opposed to last year when they first began to make this run under Brad, that being the team? Well, I, I think I think people trust this team. I think last year um, – you know, we obviously had that that strong run uh, post trading deadline with Isaiah, and in fact, since we've added Isaiah to the team, we've been one of the top, I think, six teams in the NBA uh, record-wise. But I, I think you know people didn't know whether or not to um, what to make of that team uh, for the longer term. Um, you know, because they'd only been together for a while, and I think this season. <laughs> Uh, is another step in the right direction. So people see that it's that it's real, that uh, there's some some talented players on this team, that they play well together, the chemistry's good, the culture's good, they got a strong leader in Brad, they they play hard for each other, and and I think there's a you know a, a level of um, you know I, I don't know the right word for it, but I, I think people. I think people generally just feel good about this team and, and the kind of guys they are and the way they play. And and I think last year it was a little bit of an unknown. We, I think we built some of that, you know, even though we got swept in the playoffs, I think people saw how hard we fought in that series, gave Cleveland a tough go. And uh, and I, I think people have really come to appreciate this, this team. And, uh, you know, so that, you know, bodes, bodes well for, uh, you know, the team and, and obviously the business. It's very interesting, too, when you look at the way the fans look at the team. I think they definitely buy the long-term message, but I was on a pregame show up in the local ESPN radio affiliate up in New Hampshire, and someone asked me why you think that maybe the fans, while they buy into the team and the long-term messages you guys are selling, 
aren't like have like this like through the roof excitement about the current group. And I started to really think about my theories for that. I was asked about it on the spot, and I don't think I gave the right answer, but I was thinking about it t- uh, today, and I sort of was wondering it might be the constant uh, goal looking at the long-term goals so do you feel like the constant message of that long-term goal while I mean it is very honest and outside observers are far more educated towards getting to that goal when they were say 10, 15 20 years ago so that's going to really resonate with them a lot more than it once did but are there any downsides especially when it comes to maybe generating the kind of excitement a team that's currently third in its conference and has the potential to make a playoff run all the way to Memorial Day generate the kind of excitement a business operation like the Celts would want when it feels like at least from my vantage point rich the constant message seems to be that of long-term goals the summer cap space transformative move banner 18 uh, hopefully banner 19 20 21 22 23 24 25 if you want to get really funny but you guys have you ever think about like and maybe I'm ignorant here rich but that there's this level, plenty of excitement amongst the fan base over this current group. Right. No, I, I, I think it's a good point you're making. I think, uh, you know, when we talk about it, we say, you know, the, the, the present is bright and the future is brighter. I, I think the, the good thing that's happened is, uh, you know, a lot of times when people talk about, you know, rebuilding teams and transforming teams, you know, it's three, five, seven years of, of pain, uh, with this team, we're, we're able to see the team grow and move along the curve, progress along the curve without foregoing any of our future opportunity. So it's not like the cost of the success of this team is the future. The, the future is really bright, particularly, you know, with the draft picks we have, the cap space we have, um, and the, the age of our players. You know, our, our guys are young. Um, they're under good contracts. They're growing together as a group. So, you know, I think part of it is people look at this team and they say it's good, but it's, it's you know, it's going to get better, and they're more focused on the it's going to be better part of it, um, you know, which you can't guarantee, but certainly that's that's our plan. And, um, you know, so I, I think that's the phenomenon that's going on right now. I think, um, you know, people are waiting, you know, with bated breath for something sort of big to happen, but at the same time they are enjoying the current team. I mean, you you, you come to any of our games now, I mean, the garden is cranking, um, you know, unlike, you know, like, like it was back in 2008. I mean, there, there's really a great energy around the team now. Uh, we've had some, you know, a nine-game home winning streak. So I think, you know, I think the feelings are positive. But, you know, we're not, you know, us, we're not, we're not out there spinning anything. You know, it, the, the product sort of speaks for itself right now. You know, you, you can see what it is. You can see this is a team that, that, that plays hard, that, um, you know, that fans really appreciate, uh, but still kind of consider a bit of an underdog. Let's continue to talk about that product right now because I want to harken back to a conversation me and you had at the beginning of the year because it's what stuck out from what we talked about. And, of course, if listeners do care about that, that is in the archives on the Celtics feed for iTunes and Stitcher. But you talked a lot about the depth on the team before the season and how they'd be able to survive a sporadic injury here and there, largely because while all these guys on this team have their own unique talents, there's really no one player that's substantially better than the other. And we've seen this team maybe not excel, but at least tread water over various points of the season when Smart's been out, Bradley's missed some time. Then if you even want to get into stuff like guys like Tyler Zeller, they were he was a starting center last year. He had a very nice year, but he's not really replicating what he's that this year so we've seen that but while this team since the all-star break has once again I mean they've treaded water it just seems it's a little more tenuous in that Kelly Olynyk dynamic and that versatility and the unique skills that he's providing stretching the floor the first and foremost but not having him these last few games here especially in these losses with how much this team has struggled against opposing big men it seems like that's sticking out like a sore thumb at least to me right well you know we we do have I think enough depth to, to, you know, sustain ourselves when, when most players are injured, but, you know, every player is different and what they bring to the team is different. And Kelly has a unique skill set that's hard to replicate. And uh, so when you miss Kelly, you're, you're right. You miss that, that floor stretching capability of a big who can, you know, pull the center away from the basket and open up the floor for uh, Isaiah and other players to cut to the basket He's, he's a good ball mover as well as a good shooter. He's an intelligent player defensively. He's a great team defender. He's, you know, he, he, he's in the right position. So not only are we better 
offensively with him, but we're better defensively with him on the floor. If you look at, you know, those plus minus statistics, you know, so some guys are harder to replace than others, particularly those who have a very unique skill set, which, which Kelly does, you know, there's not a lot of seven footers who play the game the way he does, but, but having said that, you know, there's more than one way to, to skin the cat and there's more than one way to win a game. And what Brad I think is really good at is on a game by game basis, figuring out, you know, what that is. And so, um, He's good at trying, putting guys in position to be successful um, and and dealing with, um, you know, the with injury and, and making the best of it. So I, I think uh, it might take us a little while to find our footing, um, you know, to adjust when a guy like Kelly goes down. We usually get there, you know, and uh, but but, you know, the reality is some losses are a little tougher to sustain than others. Yeah, Rich, they've certainly been able to sustain things a bit here. And as you brought up, that is a testament to Brad. I think that goes without saying. Anyways, though, Kelly's absence is certainly sticking out more than any other injury, at least in my eyes they've had thus far, due to the Celtics who, I mean, they've really already been struggling all year against opposing bigs. I want to get into that when it comes to the continued assembly of the franchise, which I want to speak about you with. But I've got to break for a few words here, so stay with us. We're here with Rich Gotham, president of the Boston Celtics. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated, and they all try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That is why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. The Boston Celtics are currently on a five-game homestand with some huge games at the Garden on tap, such as tomorrow night's game against the Utah Jazz. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look at tickets for not just upcoming Celtics games, but the Bruins and other shows as well that are taking place in the Boston area. And you don't have to be just from the area to use it. It's anywhere in the country. SeatGeek aggregates all available tickets online into one place to save you time and money. The SeatGeek app enables you to set alerts for upcoming events, and SeatGeek themselves will let you know if ticket prices fall. Listeners, you get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. Here's how to get your $20 rebate on tickets. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code, and enter promo code CELTICSBEAT. That's CELTICSBEAT in all one word, no space. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code CELTICSBEAT to claim your $20 today. Hi, this is Brent Berry, and you're listening to Celtic Speak on CLNS Radio. Brought to you by American Farmers Network. To receive all the big benefits of small family farms and to eat healthy, log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Thank you for sticking with us. Welcome back into the show. Rich Gotham, Boston Celtics president, is our guest. Rich, I thought what we were discussing regarding the missing Olenek dynamic before we had to break there for a bit kind of provides a good transition to how Celtics execs like yourself plan to assemble this team over the course of the coming months or years. So I think, you know, to get to my point here, I think we all know this team has definitely struggled against talented players with size this year. Some guys, or some games actually, have really stuck out, such as during that awful funk around the holidays when they lost to some bad teams, the Nets being one of them. The Celtics had no answer for Brooke Lopez in that game. But as stated, it's seemingly all year, really, and it's been highlighted recently here. Traditional big men, guys with some skills close to the basket, some size. They're really taking it to the Celtics on both ends. You know, Favors, Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns on that Mountain West roadie. So everyone's really been exposed to this firsthand. You know, one of the things that's different, though, this time around, as opposed to 03 to 07, when you were also still there, is this team, the current product is superior to that of what was primary lottery teams back then, and there seems to be a bigger premium on winning each and every game. So my question is, how much does that help you guys with being able to take appropriate gauges and what the Celts have on the floor, seeing what you guys have and being able to pinpoint specific Wii points that you and other members of the Celtics brass can attack in the near future, as opposed to where it was in the summers of, say, 06 or 07, where the mindset, at least in my eyes, seemed to be it was just get anybody in here that can play rather than filling holes to the roster. Or, or maybe that mindset still stands, and I'm wrong, and I'm ignorant here, Rich. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I think, uh, you know, you try to 
com construct a versatile roster. I think that's mainly what we've tried to do, what Brad's tried to do. I think every team in the league has its strengths and weaknesses. You know, there aren't really a lot of what you'd call, you know, big traditional postmen who can shut down players like, you know, DeAndre Jordan and Andre Drummond and even a guy like, you know, Greg Monroe, who's been top on us the last couple of games. I, I'm not sure there are a lot of guys out there that exist like that, but, but clearly, you know, having a defensive presence in the middle, you know, is important in certain matchups. And so if you don't have that, you know, in some games it's going to be a little tougher and you try to compensate that by being tougher on the perimeter and making it harder on the guards to get the offense going and, you know, throwing a, throwing a double team at, at someone, um, you know, and using, you know, physical players like uh, Marcus or Jay to double down on a guy. Um, so, you know, again, I, I, th I don't think you're going to find a team that doesn't have, you know, whether your weakness is, you know, shooting or, you know, interior defense or perimeter defense or, you know, whatever, you know, offensive rebounding, defensive rebounding, whatever it may be. Um, you know, you're trying to fill those gaps in different in different ways. And, um, you know, we when we look at the roster at the end of the season, certainly, uh, you know, you know, we'll say what kind of players do we need that, that would help us. But I, I do think primarily what we think about is versatile players and finding players who can play multiple positions, defend multiple positions. Um, you know, those are the kind of guys we think can, can help us based on the style of ball we, we, we play today. That's what a lot of, I think the really the real benefit of this is where the Celtics have been doing well, particularly over the last year and a half now, is it is allowing or it's making it a lot easier to do the appropriate scouting of what this team needs. Whereas it really worked out really, really well last time where you can get a Garnett and get a Ray Allen. But there have been so many instances in history, especially as so many teams try to copy what that Celtics blueprint did. It worked for the Miami Heat, but there were a lot of teams like, I mean, I don't want to name teams, but we'll just throw the Knicks out there. I mean, Amare and... In Carmelo, that didn't work out. There's been so many teams where it didn't work out. And me and you, like, we've talked a lot over the years now on these airwaves. You know, I've watched you. You've gone out in the media. Many other team execs have been, I mean, very open to not just the hardiest of Celtics fans, but the general population in my eyes. I mean, Danny Ainge seems like, it's like there's not a day that goes by where he doesn't make himself available to the public. You guys have all like universally been on the same page, preaching very similar messages. I mean, the, the phrase transformative move has somehow been tossed around so much that the talking heads and the other teleprompter readers are rewriting it so much. So it's not like I've always been like, it's like, well, if there's a move that can be had that can make this team a championship contender overnight and we're not going to get it with great. But I also just look at it. I, I wonder if it's changed where, you, where you're not going to be able to see a replica of 2007 anymore. And I, I don't know. I do. Do you think the times are a little bit different here? Do you see where this team is at now and possibly make some adjustments to your thought process of not just, you know, seven to ten years ago, but maybe over these last few years here where maybe there's more of a premium on the organic model of assembling a team? Because I guess it's twofold. Like we've talked about how there's been a persistent incline here over the last two and a half years now, both from an individual and from a team standpoint. But couple that with something we haven't talked about, and I know you're aware of, a seemingly new environment around the league where other elite-level talents are not as obtainable as they were, say, seven to ten years ago, when many of those guys were almost forcing their way out of the market. So, I mean, do you think that your thought process in terms of or the whole organization's thought process has changed, not just from a decade ago, but the last few years, because of those two things and because of, of course, where the team is at right now? Right. I, I think um, I think the answer to that, you know, is is yes. I, I think we our answer to that is to not be married to any one single strategy to improve the team and build a championship team. It's uh, to to execute across multiple strategies to try to get there. And so um, when we think about you know how do we improve our team, you know, it starts with drafting well and developing our players. And, and that's a really big, important part of, of what we do, you know, particularly with, with all the, the volume of draft picks that we, you know, have had and, and will continue to have over the next few years. Uh, the, the other piece, obviously, you know, is managing your, your cap space such that, you know, when opportunities become available, whether it's, you know, via trade or free agency, you've, you've got the financial flexibility to move 
but that's no longer the advantage it, it once was. Almost every team will be under the cap, you know, in the summer. So it's not like we'll be the only team that has, you know, money to spend on players. So you can't be married just to that strategy and say, you know, we're banking our whole, you know, strategy on landing a big name free agent. That that's hit or miss. Um, but you know it. And at the same time, you know, we're looking at as you grow and you develop your players um, and you've got players who are uh, young uh, and attractive players under good contracts and you've got draft picks, that that means you also have assets and and currency that are attractive to other teams. And, And so if you decide, if you said the best way for us to improve this team is via trade, you know, then you've got the, you know, the, the, the assets that allow you a seat at the table to have those discussions. So if, um, you know, if a big player is being moved, you know, we're, we're in a position to at least have a conversation about it. And, and so we're trying to execute across all those things, uh, not just any one of them, uh, and, and hoping that by giving ourselves multiple options of improving the team, you know, we'll, we have the best probability of, of, of ultimately getting there versus being married to a sort of big swing and a miss strategy on free agency only or hoping there's another, you know, Ray Allen or Kevin Garnett trade or hoping only that, you know, all of our young players turn into all-stars and they deliver the next championship. You know, so it's you put yourself in position to have multiple options to execute against and, and then you, be, you look for the best opportunities and you, and you try to be patient uh, and not – um, act, uh, you know, uh, in any sense of, you know, desperation. You know, we're, we're dealing from a position of strength uh, with a team that's progressing nicely all, uh, along the curve. And if there's nothing that, that really we feel really markedly improves our team, we're, you know, we're content to, you know, continue to, to, to grow and develop this, this group of players. So it's a good, it's a good spot to be in. But the, the league has become – it has become more difficult to make moves. As you saw at the trading deadline – you know, there wasn't a lot of activity. You didn't see a lot of big names uh, changing seats. And, you know, we'll see what it looks like in June. I think it's a little bit more of a liquid market in June when people know what their draft positions are. They know what their playoff fortune was. They, they, they know what they feel like they need to do to improve their team in the offseason. Um, so I think it gets a little more easy um, as you get closer to draft night. But, um, but we'll see. Real quick, I want to get you out of here, but I definitely want to follow up on that. You mentioned how you believe it's going to get easier as you get to draft night. However, I'm sort of a glass-half-empty type of guy. I've always been actually a little bit concerned about the pressure on a possible dwindling value due to the excess amount of draft selections the Celtics carry into. It's almost like a burden in a way, even though it shouldn't be. You guys do have eight selections, albeit five of them are second-rounders, which there's a lot of flexibility there. Those contracts aren't guaranteed. You can stash those guys in international leagues overseas, as you saw with Marcus Thornton, those picks can be sold, they can be rolled over, etc. But I mean, my kind of not, I don't want to say freaking out, but how do you look at that in terms of the, the draft picks that the Celtics have and the possible pressure that they're going to be, you're going to have to move them and 30 some other teams know that Danny has to trade them himself? Well, I mean, I, I look at it as uh, eight shots at getting a great player, right? I mean, you know, the draft is a numbers game. The more picks you have, the more likely you are to, to, to come up with someone who turns into a star player, whether that's, you know, at the top of the draft, you know, with a known, you know, sort of name player, or, you know, it's in the second round with a guy like, you know, look at Golden State and Draymond Green, or look at, you know, a late first rounder like Jay Crowder. I, I think, you know, there are, um, there are ways to, uh, those are just, to me, those are just more at bats that give you an opportunity, um, you know, to, to hit a deep ball. And, and so, uh, if, if we're, you know, if we maintain all of those picks, that's absolutely the, the choice we'll take. We'll, we'll, we'll be using those picks and, you know, and, and trying to get uh, the best players we can. And, uh, but, you know, I, I think when it comes to trading and, and all that, you know, the, you know, most of that pressure is self-imposed, right? So um, we're certainly not going to devalue our draft picks because we've got more of them. You didn't do it um, last year. What's that? You guys didn't do it in the last draft, so you're consistent when you say that because you have the historical right. evidence. You know, and, and you know, but at the same time, listen, if, if you said um, because we've got two or three, you know, we've got three first-round picks and we, and we had an opportunity to use one of those picks, 
you know, to improve the team in, in trade, let's say, well, it's, it's easier to part with that knowing that you've got two others, right? So I just think it gives us, gives us more flexibility. You know, I, I think when it comes to draft picks, I, I don't see a downside. I, I, think, I think more is better. Um, and if someone on the other side of the table says, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lowball these guys because I know they've got, you know, all these draft picks, then that's probably something we're not going to go along with. I know. I was just looking at it, looking at it from the glass, half-empty way. But, Rich, we appreciate you having you here. But I wanted to get you out of here with I'm going to toss you an on-the-money, no-look-behind-the-back, full-court touchdown pass from alley-oop. So here's one for you to throw down with authority. Get you out of here with a final message to the audience of this show. Well, I don't need, I don't need, all I need is the uh, Isaiah Thomas pass to Jay Crowder in the corner for the three to seal the game. Well, that's the time, highlight right? of the season. But I wanted, yeah. to, I wanted to just give you the floor, the little message to the people who listen. Well, no, I appreciate that, you know, for, for the listeners, particularly those who are, you know, come to Celtics games, watch us on TV or season ticket holders, uh, you know, know that we, uh, you know, we, we work hard to earn, you know, your, your investment, whether that investment is, you know, your financial investment or your emotional investment in the team. You know, and we're going to keep working hard to, uh, you know, to build a team and, and, and deliver that next banner and, you know, really just, you know, have an organization that Celtics fans can be uh, be proud of and feel good about. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity, Larry, for you to uh, – the opportunity for me to be able to say that to our, our fans. Thanks. Rich Gotham, president of the Boston Celtics, the trifecta for Rich on Celtics Beat. That was appearance number three. Mentioned in the interview, not just mentioned that was one of the focal points, of the, was the perception of fans, particularly early on. Well, I – not not perception. I, I believe I overused that word, particularly early on there. But as I talked about, I was on a uh, pregame show this past thir- Thursday. Yes, I moved Thursday, the Milwaukee game, up on ESPN Radio in New Hampshire. Patrick Gilroy hosts the show on 900 AM on ESPNHradio.com. I thought he asked me a very interesting question about why this group of Celtics fans and yeah, they're pumping out the gym. TV ratings, they're improving. There's plenty of interaction on social media. I know there's a lot more than what I was when I was hosting this show here two years ago. But people, it doesn't seem like they're exactly tripping over themselves to see this group and get insanely excited about this group and get emotionally attached to this team. The same way, you know, something very similar in 2002. A lot of winning star fans fell in love. People my age then, and I was 15 that year, they fell in love with that team. And it's the same scenario here, at least I believe, where you got a young team, a young group here, but with a ceiling, with an end game to this season. And Mr. Gilroy of ESPN New Hampshire asked me why. And as I said this with Rich, I actually don't believe I gave Patrick the right answer on the ESPN airwaves that night. I don't. It was a great question. And the answer I gave him, while I think there was some accuracy to it, I think fans in Boston now, they're spoiled. It's different. It's a different fan to the 2002 Boston fan, where it was just months after that first Patriots championship. But still, at that point, the entire city had gone 16 years without a title team. And a lot of losing from all four major teams. The Celtics had missed the postseason for seven consecutive years. People then were starved for any kind of playoff basketball. I know I was. I was all for that Rodney Rogers and Tony Delk trade at the deadline back in February of 2002. I really wanted to see a Lakers-Celtics finals that year, even when I knew Boston would lose. I was still dying to see it. Now this time, there really is something to say that fans are spoiled. Look at the 2013 Red Sox for an example. I mean, no one was getting on that bandwagon until mid-September around here. The Sox were not even selling out games that entire season. They were running jokes on drive-time talk radio shows that season that seats were going for 4 bucks or whatever on the secondary market, even though the team was in first place and had the best record in the American League pretty much that entire year. Because it's sort of a been there, done that type of thing. We'll only take a championship, thank you very much. And that that team did deliver. But that's sort of what I think kind of applies to the Celtics team in a way, with the way fans are behaving. Yes, I mean, the games, they're great. They're selling out a lot of games. There's plenty of energy in the arena. But it isn't like euphoria. It isn't the 1967 Red Sox. And I know I might say, well, it shouldn't be, but I, I think it could be a lot closer to that than what it is in my eyes. You know, you, but you just now you can't sell to the fans. Oh, this team can make a run to the Eastern conference finals. Like you could some 15 years ago when the duck boat parades weren't rolling in. 
So that was the answer that I gave Patrick O'Roy, and I believe there is truth to that. I do really think there's truth to that. But after thinking long and hard about that over the last few days here, I was like, you know, I think there's something else. And this is where I wanted to get into it with Rich, and I I feel like I did, where the, the message from the organization has been Banner 18, Banner 18, Banner 18. That's something that fans definitely want to hear. There's no question about that. And the rebuilding process as well. And and maybe, maybe in a way, that's made fans lose a little sight of what's currently going on. Because everything that's talked about, and not just the organization, but the media, and the media seems to create fans' opinions, unfortunately. or It's not just sports, it's the whole world. But the media, the talking heads, it's always about the future. And who can the Celtics get? and trade ideas, and fantasy free agent signings, it's all that. And when there's something good that happens today, and you got a current group that's overachieving on the court, following last year's team that definitely overachieved, and the train of thought from the average lemming then becomes not about analyzing what's taking place now, but it's just, wow, just imagine what uh, Brad Stevens is going to do when he gets some stars here. So to answer Patrick's question and the general question of why myself or anyone for that matter think are the reason or reasons for why the general population of basketball observers here in the area are not falling completely in love with this team and gearing up for a playoff push that could very well go to the end of May. Think about that, folks. Basketball in Boston in 2016 around Memorial Day, that's unfathomable or at least was unfathomable as far back as, say, early October before all the computers came out with these results from various algorithms that spit out the Celtics winning 47, 50, 53 games or whatever prior to the season that's everyone's, that got everybody's sexual organs all revved up about this basketball season. But this team is playing well. Like I said, right now they're treading water a little bit here. You can see some signs. You can really see, I mean, they're more than just warning signs. They pointed out with Rich, it's been in my eyes – more than this, you know, this team needs a closer deal. You see it every game when another team has a burly and talented, not one or the other, but both. You know, they got a big, big, saw it in game one of the of the season, of game number one of 82. Jalil for Philadelphia came out and set the world on fire before Brad Stevens taps Ellinger to quell that art outburst a bit. But Brooke Lopez has played well against Boston. Rich alluded to it. Greg Monroe, these last few games, with the Celtics playing the box and barely winning back on Thursday, holding on after Milwaukee rallied. And, uh, you know, Monroe was in, him, just signed as a free agent uh, this past offseason with the Milwaukee uh, Bucks. Uh, he's beat the crap out of the Celtics. Favors, Gobert, they're back tomorrow night at the Garden. We'll have the Celtics pregame show on CLNS Radio, available for that on clnsradio.com at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, hosted by yours truly. David Locke will be my guest. Again, Jazz Radio play-by-play. Jazz are in tomorrow with Favors and Monroe. They had a big game. They're good players. That's really been the Celtics' issue this year. Almost in every game, talent big, big men are killing this team, and there's no answer for it. Kelly Olenek, that absence is a problem because, at least on the offensive end for the Celts, he can help out there. To reiterate what Rich said, which I believe echoes what many educated Celtics fans see as well, his ability to spread the floor. He can at least, say, draw a Rudy Gobert out of the paint and allow more here or down there for Celtics players rather than have his presence just camped out down in the paint and dominate that end, that end of the floor as well as just offensively, but... Now that that obviously that just goes without saying. I'm I'm stating the obvious here completely. But Boston, they are getting beaten the pain. They just don't have that dynamic to counter it as of now. But we're able to see that as a weak point. That's what winning does. And I also this was a, a good part of my discussion with Rich. And this is definitely what I want to get to and, and keep going on it because you can't go forever with the guy. But that's what competing does. And I, I really want to emphasize this. Having these relevant games where you're able to draw real conclusions since those times you do win, it's not the case of catching a team off guard. Like, I feel like that happened a lot last year when they really snuck up some teams. That's not the case this year with the Celtics, as it was last year. Other teams know what the Celtics can do, what they can't do. They have the respective opponents, so they're going to get a legitimate crack from teams pretty much every game. 
And with the Celtics fighting for playoff positioning, trying to hang on to this third seed, stay out of Cleveland's bracket, set themselves up for a playoff run, win a lot more games than they lose, hopefully, or at least taking every game seriously and not prioritizing playing the young guys, that allows to identify deficiencies far more effectively. And it's easier, if it's easier for a, a schmuck like myself to identify, then certainly the basketball minds within an organization can. That there, that not only enhances growth, that accelerates improvement, like how players have their singular weak points pinpointed and they can work on that on off seasons. Well, so does the team and this Celtics team. Very good team right now, not great. But, hey, not terrible, not bad. This isn't Philadelphia. This isn't the 2007 Celtics where there's this big, fat, help-wanted sign plastered on the leprechaun himself. You see what's not working, what's costing this team games in the regular season, and what will very likely end this coming upcoming season without a championship. But you can that allows you to say, okay, we need this, we need that. And you put a greater emphasis on going out and getting this and getting that, be it in the draft, directing funds and cap space towards this That's what you focus on and going through this whole process and improving that way rather than the all-in, which, yes, that worked for the Celtics in the summer of 07 and in the championship there in 08. It worked for Miami when they got freaking LeBron James. I mean, how does that not work out? But it's also not worked for a lot of teams, a lot of other instances. And like I said to Rich, there's a lot of teams that tried to replicate what the Celtics did that blueprint and it really did has not worked out well for them Howard and Harden in Houston Mello and Amare in New York so I think it's different this time around I really do I think it's going to be different it doesn't have to be and certainly if the planets the stars and the moons do align the say the Celtics are there but I, I like how this opportunity the Celtics have I mean obviously it doesn't just amuse us fans in the current state where it's an actually enjoyable product but I think it's a more conservative way of getting to your goals. Allow for that organic growth and day-by-day or year-by-year improvement where you can identify weak points and make it far easier for a GM like Danny Ainge or anyone for that matter. And okay, as we don't we need this, but as Rich said, what the Celtics definitely need, a dominant low post presence and or interior presence, those do not grow on trees. We know that. But I think, and I asked Rich, well, I did not ask, I told him, I think that's just better than getting guys here who can play and then hope it works. It certainly allows you to add and make the process more organic, more natural. Oh, geez. Organic and natural must resist, urge, American Farmers Network. uh That too, I, I also just think that with the way the league is now, just how much harder it is to get these players, these Garnets, these Gasols, even back, you know, Pau Gasol. Boston has the ammunition if they are there, but as Adrian Wojnarowski said on episode number 143 of this show a few weeks ago, it's going to be awfully tough to get those guys now. There's a lot less player movement or or player movement for significant players than there was in the prior decade. And here's another caveat to think of. Let's just say hypothetically you can go all in now. You can cash out. Do you want to do it? Now think about that long and hard. Think long and hard about that. Think long and hard. You know, there's a there's a team out west there, Golden State. They may very well be what the 1990 Chicago Bulls were with Steph Curry. As young as he is, as young as that whole team is, they may be Jordan's Bulls where nobody else can win. There wasn't anyone else allowed to win in the 1990s. There's, there were plenty of good teams, but there were no one was allowed to win in the 90s except for Chicago because of how good the Bulls and how good Jordan was. Golden State could very well be that. Think that over. Think it over. Especially when thinking of that three-year window, which is what the Garnett team essentially had. I tell you, seeing how good not just obviously the Spurs, Golden State, seeing how good they are right now and will be, You've got to think long and hard about cashing in and building a team around dudes in their early 30s like this team did in 2008. And I, I'm sure Danny Ainge is going to think long and hard about that too. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that if this summer you tell Kevin Durant, you know, hey, thanks, uh, you know, Kevin, we're, we're, we're all set though. I mean, obviously, definitely not as a free agent, God, no. But just just saying the hypothetical of, and I hate throwing names out there, but the hypothetical of a Carmelo Anthony. Guy in his early 30s, plenty 
very talented player. Or okay, let's just how about this? A Kevin Garnett or Ray Allen circa two thousand eight. Same situation. Proven players, early thirties. I think it's different now. I think with that Golden State juggernaut that's in the way now and for the foreseeable future, that definitely presents a different time and place than what the NBA was in two thousand seven when it was wide open and that really crappy Spurs team in two thousand seven won and a good but not great Pistons team was dominating the Eastern Conference, and that god-awful Cavs team got to the finals with, I mean, what was it, LeBron and four guys named Fred. I mean, he had uh, Larry Hughes. Who else was on that team? Like Eric Snow, uh, Drew Gooden, uh, Daniel Gibson. I remember that because he had a big game against Detroit in the playoffs. But it was a bunch of bums. That team sucked. And that conference was ripe for the taking, and there wasn't really any power, real power out west either. It was definitely a different scenario now where you have a Warriors team that may be in the middle of being an all-time great NBA team up there with the 60s Celtics, the 80s Lakers and Celtics, the 90s Bulls. This Warriors team, I think, has the potential to join something like that and do something special. So to all those Celtics fans who lock themselves in cold, dark rooms and lose five pounds the hard way thinking over trade ideas, just remember the Alamo. Remember Golden State. So maybe accept that a long-term and more thorough building process may be the way to go here. I think the organization has. And to not drive yourself mad, enjoy what there is now. This, I mean, this, this is fine. Good brand of basketball. It's not what most fans want. They want a contender. But hey, it's not 75% of the league is, is what's well. It's well worth your time. And that's a, a perfect lead in here huh, to talk about all the great home games at the Garden because we're this late into the show, and it is our ticket giveaways all here at CLNS Radio. It's seemingly now a tradition every week. Time to announce the winner on Twitter. Here it is for this week's game against the Portland Trailblazers on Wednesday, March 2nd. The winner at Matt underscore Kelly three. That's at Matt underscore Kelly three. Congratulations. DM us your email info and thanks for participating. Okay. Next available game, a biggie. Maybe the game of the year thus far. Wednesday, March 23rd against the Toronto Raptors. There will be a lot on the line that night in terms of playoff implications. Number two team in the conference, the Raptors. Here's how to enter. Subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes. Celtics Beat on iTunes. Again, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes. Do not forget the review. That is how we see you. Obviously, you cannot rate and review without a subscription as well. It will not show up. But leave that review so we can obviously see you and toss you into the hat. And again, winner, again, drawn at random. So subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes. Some of you have done this. You're already in, but hey, you can increase your odds. Maybe get a family or a friend's phone to do it. The ends justify the means, folks, if you want those tickets. And to those of you who haven't, please do so to get into the drawing. Again, next available giveaway, a biggie, March 23rd against the Toronto Raptors. Enter by simply subscribing rating and reviewing Celtics Beat on iTunes. If you need any further help, hit me up on Twitter. I'll give you a hand, at CLNS underscore LHR. That's my name. That is me. And again, still more contests at CLNS Radio, more ticket giveaways. All available details are over on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. That's facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. We still have plenty of games we'll be giving away the rest of 2016. And, of course, if there's a Celtics game or a Bruins game or a concert or any other event you'd like to attend, and, heck, if you even aren't in the area, which a lot of you are not, all sports concerts, down, again, download the free SeatGeek app, look around, use promo code Celtics Beat. That's Celtics Beat, all one word, for a $20 rebate on your first purchase. There's a lot going on. That's usually not the case this time of year. February is famously known as the dead zone in the sporting world. But college basketball should be very interesting this year. March Madness is all but here with the conference tournament starting soon. This winter is moving. The weather being as mild as it is, as mild it has been. So many nice days. Just unreal. 60 degrees out like it's nothing. And there's going to be more of that this week here in Boston. 
could be a very early, I mean, a mid-March spring. Maybe. I mean, winter is, is done in my eyes. And the Celtics, they're making this winter go by a lot easier. Very good on-court product. Amazing what that'll do, huh? So thank you, hey, thank you, Celtics, for doing your part. Certainly making this space more enjoyable each and every week. So till next time. Although I guess till the pregame show now, which is tomorrow uh, on CLNSRadio.com at 4 o'clock with our guest David Locke, jazz radio play-by-play voice. I host that before every game on CLNS Radio, as in until tomorrow again, CLNSRadio.com at 4 p.m. Eastern time. But to go back to our traditional script, thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, DJ Joe, Chuck Dietz, and Steph Legrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on Steelness Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Also, Google Plus, Celtics Beat on CLNS. Like to thank our guest, Rich Gotham, president of the Boston Celtics, as well as our sponsors, SeatGeek and American Farmers Network for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, program director, Nick Chelso, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.